works. Okay, there we go. Um, I kind of just want to keep singing. Till all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. Thy precious blood shall never lose its power. To all the ransomed church of God be saved to sin no more. So the work of Christ is so effective that everybody in here, there's going to be a day that the ripple effects of the cross will fully save us to sin no more. That the cross of Christ will fully redeem us out of our sin. Every one of us. That's powerful. Think about the power, what feels like the power of sin over your life right now, and then multiply that, just the battle that we as Christians are engaged in. Because to enter into the Christian faith means to enter into a battle. It means flesh, spirit. It's constant battle where you're waging war against the flesh. And the work of Christ is so powerful that every believer in this room will have its effect to where all of sin in our life is... That is remarkable. That's remarkable. It's absolutely awesome. Thank you. Yes, it is. Um, So it's just every week I feel like I comment on a song just because it's so remarkable. It's just wonderful the things that we get to sing together. I want to pray for Mason and Bree and Honora again this morning. I also want to pray for Michelle Thomas. Michelle and Todd Thomas come here... uh, down from Pinckneyville, actually, and Michelle's father is in ICU, and so he's in his mid-60s, so young man um, still, and uh, all of you that are inching up in the 60s, young man, uh, <clears throat> not to out you or anything, Kurt, but very uh, young man still, and, and that's just hard. Any, no matter what stage your parents are in, it's difficult. It's just hard, so I want to lift up Michelle and then the Scroggins. Um, uh, Bree is uh, sick again, and then Honora is, from what I heard, she's not, Jordan, she's not keeping food down or something. She's just, they both have a stomach bug. So I just want to pray for them both, and uh, also just thank the Lord for, uh, you know, last week we prayed for Pleasant Valley Community Church, and it was remarkable. Monday morning we get that $5,000 check, and, and uh, they're just, they're, they're friends of ours, and that's, nobody in here knows them except me and Russ, just a few people in here. And they've just been so kind to us. And, and that's just a huge, huge, huge blessing to, to our church and the mission. Um, and so we just want to pray and thank the Lord. And You can go ahead and turn, by the way, to Ephesians chapter 4. So go ahead and turn there and you can keep your finger there. And then as I pray, I'm just going to pray for, for all of that and then for the Holy Spirit just to work this morning in each of our, each of our hearts and our minds. Father, we thank you for this opportunity that we have just to come here as a redeemed people and every one of us in here that's in you, that that have been saved by Jesus, we stand, actually sit here uh, even right now and we just declare that you're our Father. We thank you for your grace to us. Thank you that we can come our Father. Hallowed be thy name. It's our Father who we want to see honored and glorified here this morning. So we just, you're holy and you're good. We thank you. Thank you for redeeming a people in Owensboro, Kentucky, for Pleasant Valley Community Church, for the blessing that we received. God, help us to be good stewards of that, uh, for your glory and your honor to be extended through this city and the cities that we all come from as we come here on Sunday mornings. God, we want to see your work continue to work and push back darkness in our cities. There is a lot of darkness, and we want to see 
the light of the gospel change the communities that we come from and the city that we're gathering in right now, the city of Carbondale. And God, we just lift up family members. We just lift up uh, um, uh, Mason and Bree and Anora. And we just ask that you would just heal Bree and Anora's little bodies. We just ask that you would heal Anora and you would just heal their body. They've been sick just week in and week out, it seems. Just ask that you would help. I know that they're not getting a lot of sleep and every family, every parent in here knows how those first few weeks can be tiring. So I just pray just for supernatural energy for them. Uh, that you would just help them. Thank you that, that they come here from so far away and just want to be a part of what you're doing here. And it's just such an honor to just know them and love them as friends. And we just uh, lift them up. And uh, God, I just thank you for Michelle Thomas and her father and her commitment to her father to see that her father is cared for. I thank you for that. Thank you that you're working into his life through his daughter's life. And so just give Michelle strength. Give Todd strength. As they're traveling back and forth from Kentucky, uh, it's just, it's wearing. And so just give them supernatural energy as well. Just help them. Just ask that. And then this morning, as we hear from you, we want our minds, as we talk about our minds here this morning, we want our minds to fall in line with the truth of the Scriptures. Help us not passionately defend things that we believe just because we believe them because it feels right. Help us to believe and trust your Word because your Word is right. Help our minds be conformed uh, to your Word and who you say we are in you and how we should think. Just help our minds be conformed to that. We just ask you to work in power here this morning, Holy Spirit. We trust that you will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 24. The title of the sermon is, The New Self Has Come, So Out With the Old. The idea this morning is that we as Christians are to live godly lives. I could pose the question like this. Is the only thing that's different between a Christian and non-Christian, is the only, is the only difference that the Christian is forgiven? Or... Is the Christian forgiven and made new? Is there a difference? Are we just forgiven and just live the same thing, same way as everybody else? We're just forgiven people? Or is the Holy Spirit transforming us? And the truth is the latter. The Holy Spirit is transforming us into the image of Christ. We have been born again. To enter into the Christian faith is not to conform to a moral pattern or some code of ethics. It isn't to start gathering on Sunday mornings with people uh, at some Christian church somewhere, and it isn't just simply uh, going out and trying to do Christian things. To enter into the Christian faith is to be supernaturally made new. It's to be changed from a pattern of living that the Bible describes as death, a living that can be described as death. It's, it's a spiritual heart problem uh, that moves from a dead heart to an alive heart. God does something to us. He takes through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like that these supernatural defibrillators are, are rubbed together, you know, that weird jelly stuff, and pushed on our hearts, the dead hearts, and our, spiritually these spiritual defibrillators go, and God yells, clear! And boom! And all of a sudden, our hearts start to beat. We've been made alive. And all of a sudden now, we're repenting of sins. We're trusting in Christ. We're loving Jesus. We're running, running, wanting to read the Bible. Our minds, our hearts are starting to be changed. It is way more than simple adherence to a code of ethics. Okay, We're transformed, literally transformed. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17. Does anybody know it by heart? It's a verse that many people memorize. 2 Corinthians 5, 17. If you know it, go ahead, shout it out. Yes, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the what has come. 
The new. The new has come. Behold, the new has come. So a Christian thinks, acts, talks, behaves differently than they used to before they were a Christian. Okay, if you don't even, you know, if you grew up in a Christian home like me when I turned five years old, uh, when I was five years old, God brought me to life from death to life. Say, so how, how does a five-year-old get saved? Can he comprehend? No, he can't. But God can save people who can't comprehend the gospel fully. Praise God. It's powerful, isn't it? Nobody's saved here because they fully apprehended everything there is to know about God. But God, by His grace, came down and reached and saved us. So there is a supernatural transformation that is happening, that has happened, and is continuing to happen in the life of the believer. So this morning, we're going to talk about the difference, as the Bible speaks of, the difference between the old man and the new man, the old self and the new self. And what the Scripture is going to call us to is put away what's old and step into what's new. Don't live like you're still the old person you used to be. Don't live that way. The Bible describes two different people in the world, Christians and non-Christians. Okay? And so these two different people think differently. Specifically this morning, we're going to be talking about the life of the mind of the believer, how a non-believer and then how a believer thinks. Okay, So here's the transition and the contrast between the old and the new. The old self or the non-Christian mind and heart that we're going to see here in just a little bit, the old self says this, I'm in charge of my life. Nobody else will dictate my life. I'm in charge of my life. And that way of thinking is celebrated. Take responsibility. You're in charge. You do things your own way. Okay? That, that idea, I'm in charge. That's the old self. The new, new self, the, the Christian life says, we open our hands, we say, I'm yours, God. You do with me what you want. Where you call, I'll go. As a wedding that I went to a few weeks ago, as the preacher, or a few months ago, the preacher had vows for the, uh, the bride and the groom, and the vows were, will, do, will you follow Jesus wherever he calls you, and no matter what it costs? And they both, in their vows, said, yes, I do, I will. That's a difference. New self, I'm in charge. Old self, I'm in charge. New self, God's in charge. Old self uh, believes that I am awesome. The old self it has much to do about me. I am awesome, and I'm beautiful, and I'm this or that, fill in the blank. And everyone needs to know how awesome I am. I want them to see, in fact, the key to significance and purpose in life is more and more people discovering how wonderful I am. It strokes my ego. It makes me feel good about myself. This is the old way of thinking. I'm awesome. The new way of thinking is God is awesome. I want His glory to go out in the community. I want His glory to be known among my family and among my friends. I want Him to be honored and glorified. That's the new self, the old self. I don't need anyone to save me. I can fix myself. I was talking to a libertarian, not to get political, libertarian buddy of mine. Um, and in his political views, uh, he strongly believes in independence, due, uh, you know, personal responsibility and by golly, I believe in that as well. Um, but it rolled into his spiritual life, and he just—he told me this almost verbatim. I just can't believe that I need to be saved from somebody. I just can't believe that I need to be saved, excuse me, by someone. I just can't believe that. If there is a salvation, if there is a God, then it will depend on me. Okay, this is an old line of thinking. And generally, this is a widely accepted view. The new way of thinking, the new self, is I uh, Jesus saved me, and I need Him at every moment of every day. And, and that's the difference between the old way of thinking and the new way of thinking. We are all about Jesus. We're growing more and more into the image of Christ. 
And so we're going to explore those things in a little bit greater detail, starting in verse 17 and 18. Would you read that with me? Uh, turn your eyes there. Uh, actually, don't read out loud. I'll just read it, and then we'll, we'll go back through it. Now, verse 17. Now I say this, and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. The first thing that's interesting to me about this passage is in verse 17. It says that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Now, uh, Gentiles, when you hear the word Gentiles here, he's writing to a group in Ephesus that are, in fact, redeemed Gentiles. His point in using the word Gentiles is simply to say all non-Christians, okay? Not just Gentiles. We can just use that as shorthand for the non-believing mind, okay? That's kind of how they would have received that in the first century. And so uh, when we see Gentiles, think non-believer. And he's, he's basically just sim simply telling them, don't walk the way the Gentiles walk. But here's what's fascinating about it. When he begins to describe the walk of the Gentiles, and typically when we think about a walk, we're thinking about living, we're not thinking about belief or, or even the mind. When we think about walking generally, we think about living life. Okay, the Christian walk would be the Christian Friday to Saturday, you know, through, or, Friday, or Monday to Friday through the week, the Christian walk, when, what you're doing uh, through the week, and not just on Sunday or Wednesday or whenever else you gather. But look at how the walk of the Gentile is defined. Don't walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Okay, the futility of their minds. Paul is telling the church at Ephesus, there is a way to walk like the Gentiles walk, and I don't want you to do that. I, I don't want you to walk like that. I don't want you to live like that because it's futility in their minds. Now, here's the connection here. What you think, what you believe affects how you live. And there is a right and godly way to think and a wrong and ungodly way to think. And Paul is saying, now that you're a believer, you need to think rightly and not think wrongly. In fact, it's used several times. It says, it says this uh, in verse 17, it's the futility of their minds. In verse 18, it says that they are in darkness in their understanding. You see that? Darkened in their understanding. And then it says that there is ignorance that is in them. They're alienated from God because of the ignorance that is in them. They have futile thinking. So clearly, not walking with the Gentiles has to do with not thinking like the Gentiles. You, you tracking here? There's a wrong way to think as believers, and Paul's saying, don't do that. Don't live that way. Don't think that way. So what is this way that the Gentiles are thinking? Uh, verse 19 gives us some insight into this. They have become calloused, and have given themselves up to sensuality, and they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Okay, here, here's what we, uh, we get to the heart of the problem. Uh, they're doing what they want to do. They're just doing whatever they want to do. That's the problem with bad thinking. It's futility of the mind. It's aimless. Futility is vain. It's purposeless. And it leads to them doing whatever kind of sensuality and whatever kind of greedy practice and impurity that they want to do. And here, here is the truth. The, the same problem that was in Ephesus exists today. It's the human problem. It's sin. That's the problem. It says that all of this is due to, in verse 18, the hardness of their heart. 
The problem with living the way the Gentiles live or non-believers live is it's a heart problem. And it leads to futile thinking. It leads to, it leads to all sorts of stuff. Alienation from God. Paul's saying walk away from that. So here's some characteristics of the Gentile or non-Christian mind. Characteristics of the non-Christian mind. The bad way of thinking. And it's still popular today. Non-Christian thinking, number one, is tied to the wave of popular opinion. Bad thinking, futile thinking, is tied to the wave of popular opinion. When you get in your history book, and your social studies book, when you're in 8th grade, 7th grade, 6th grade, whatever, uh, in fact, um, uh, Kurt here, uh, used to be known as Mr. Caldwell when I was younger, uh, taught me in 7th grade, I believe. It was 7th grade uh, social studies or history, whatever it was called. And we learned about different eras in the past, okay? You know, there's the Industrial Age, you go uh, Gilded Age, there's the, you name it, ages, all these different ages. There's, then there's modernity and what some call as post-modernity and then post-post-modernity and all this kind of stuff. You learn about these eras. Uh, you learn about the 1960s, which apparently was pretty wild. It was, you know, I, I do what I want to do, um, sexual revolution kind of stuff, uh, you know, truth is divine by the individual. Uh, don't get in my way. Uh, you have your truth. I have my truth. And those ideas have persisted. Well, they've been around for a long time. It's a way to do what I want to do. It's if I get to define my own truth, then I can do what I want to do and nobody can tell me what to do otherwise. Um, the futile thinking, bad thinking, is tied to the, the, uh, the pop ideology of the day. So the masses think, depending upon what era you're in, the masses think in, in gener generally very common ways. So you turn on the TV, you go to a university, uh, you go into the world, and most people think very similar ways. They're trapped in the moment of, of cultural pop ideology. So that's, that's condition number one, and Paul's saying, don't think like that. Okay? Um, so they are trapped in the current era, trapped in the current era. The second idea is this, the, the question, what is truth? Okay, well, this is a common idea of bad thinking we're to walk away of. What is truth? Well, what feels true is true. It's the second characteristic of somebody. Whatever they feel is true, that is, that's true. That's the human condition. It's a human, human problem. This is very much how things are today. If I think it's true, it's true. Okay, that's, uh, we see this when it comes to the gender battles. We see this when it comes to... Uh, just whatever it may, may be. In fact, I wrote this down. It says, Our day celebrates the God, Godhood of every human. Each person is given the so-called dignity of determination. So what we see in our country right now is you get to determine whatever you want to determine and think, Marie, whatever you think is true. And I will not get in your way of anything that you think to be true. You can be and say whatever you want to be. In fact, if you want to be the President of the United States, just uh, say, I'm the President of the United States, and we all can just agree, okay, well, Marie thinks she's the President of the United States, so she must be the President of the United States. That, that is the ideology of our world today. It, you can define yourself in any way you want to define yourself. There's nothing outside of you that, that dictates anything that you should think or feel. You get to think and feel whatever you want to think and feel, and that is truth. Nobody should get in the way of it. That's popular today. That's the idea of today. I is the Almighty. I am the Almighty. Truth, purpose, gender, sexual ethic, happiness, peace, and significance is to be found within ourselves. This is what we breathe. This is a small, small story to live in. I posted that quote online this week. Um, each person is to find truth in here. This thinking has been around a long time. 
and it gives way to all sorts of sex, all, all sorts of impurities, all sorts of sensuality. It's just whatever I think and feel to be true is true. This is a characteristic of the futile mind, the non-Christian mind. Now, we can talk about that. In fact, so it plays out like this. The only thing wrong in our society is to believe or say something is wrong. The, the only absolute truth is there is no absolute truths. You've heard the, the logical fallacy of that. Okay, it's the same thing today in our world. Okay, the only thing wrong is to believe and think anything is wrong at all. So don't say that, that there is a truth that goes beyond you. That's binding on anybody else. That's the only thing that's wrong to do. Okay? And we all see the irony, right, of that? Yes, hopefully. Okay, I'm saying I know it's absolutely wrong for you to say it's, uh, that there's something wrong. Okay, it just it doesn't make sense at all, but that's the air we breathe. Okay? The heart of each human screams, I'm enough and I'm in charge. Paul's going to tell us, walk away from all this kind of craziness. Uh, one wild example of this that I saw, we're going to talk about a wild example and then a very common example that seeps into the people of God. A wild example of this, of just a futile thinking that what we're supposed to walk away of is I saw an article this week on transibility. Transibility is a thing that's coming out now and it's gaining popularity of people who think that they should be, they, they believe in their minds to be disabled and they're getting legs amputated, arms amputated, um, and wearing leg braces and, and using wheelchairs um, by choice because in their mind they're disabled. And so they are gaining ground to be able to disable their bodies um, at their choice because that's what they believe themselves to be, disabled. Um, we see this with gender. I mean, it's huge right now. It's with gender, uh, gender is between ears, as Chaz Bono said. Not without getting uh, vulgar here. Not biological. It's between ears. That's where gender is. Okay, so that that's just waves of popular opinion. It's been around a long time, and those are kind of big, large like views of the things that we're talking about here, and that Saint Paul is going to tell us to walk away from. But it, it gets down to ground level into the midst of the church in these ways. Okay, here's how it goes: the doctrine of hell doesn't feel right to me, so it must not be right. The doctrine of eternal torment doesn't feel right. How could God? And a logical argument begins to be laid out. How could God, who is good, punish anybody eternally in hell? That doesn't feel right. Therefore, I'm going to reject it. The thinking of the non-believer operates this way. What I think and what I feel is ultimate reality. That will determine what I think and do. What I think, what I feel, that's the truth for me. So I can reject anything that doesn't feel right. Humans are good. This is another popular idea that seeps into Christian circles, uh, that humans are generally good. They'll give you the shirt off their back because we know, uh, you know, uh, Billy down the street will give us a shirt off your back, and, and certainly he will. Uh, but we get this idea that people are generally good, and we defend it, and, and people will passionately defend how good they think, even within the Christian church, how people will generally do the right thing if they're given the opportunity. And if we're just... Uh, if we're just nice to each other, and if we just encourage the good that's in each other, then uh, the world will just be a better place, and everything will be right. And in fact, in these arguments, people will passionately defend their position. But passionate defense of something that simply you think to be truth is not making it more true. It's sending you further into delusion. 
Just getting passionate about what I think and feel to be right gets you more and more bound into your own self-deceit. This is the thinking of the world. And it's not popular because just like with the cross of Christ, it's saying to the world and to even as we get into believers here to shape our minds, it's saying you are wrong in your thinking. You're wrong in your thinking. You are not the center of the universe. So it can be quite offensive and even continues to offend even myself. Okay, Sexuality is another thing. We see waves upon waves of churches embracing a sexual ethic that is not consistent with the Bible. When Jesus teaches about marriage, he quotes Genesis. Husband and wife, the two, male and female, shall come together and they shall leave and be joined together as one flesh. This is how Jesus defines marriage. Okay, And we're going to talk about gender and sexuality here in, in, next, uh, in, in a few weeks from now. We're going to talk about man, biblical manhood and womanhood. Uh, the Bible teaches clearly that, that there are two image bearers, male and female. And God speaks to two genders. He tells men to do some things he does not tell women to do. And there's dignity and honor in what God tells men to do. And then God tells women to do things that he does not tell men to do. And there's dignity and honor in the way that God speaks to women. He calls men and women up into masculinity and femininity. He does not restrict men and women. He calls them to be all that he calls them to be in their specific gender. This is the scriptures. But for our world, we want to reject that. It doesn't feel right. So I just want to reject that. It just doesn't seem right to my experience is a common way to speak about it. Um, Another way that people can fall into foul, foul, uh, like just terrible, futile thinking is uh, that um, I'm going to reject what God says will make me happy, which is to live for the glory and honor of Him, and I know what will make me happy more than God does. So surely God wouldn't want me to stay in this marriage because I'm not happy and God wants me to be happy. So ultimate reality and truth is defined by the person who wants out of the marriage than their submission to God's word. This is what I think. This is what I feel. God would want me to be happy and I'm not happy, therefore I can violate what God says. Okay, This is futile thinking to be walked away from. The result, in verse 19, of this bad thinking, the results of non-Christian thinking, is all sorts of sensuality and all sorts of living in a way that is impure. This is what we see in our world today, is it not? Sensuality and people who are doing whatever they can to practice any kind of impurity. Has the world changed much since this letter to Ephesus was written? It just simply hasn't. There's bad thinking that just abounds. In verse 18, I've already stated it, but it says it again, the problem is that bad thinking is due to, bad, to hardness of heart. That's what it's due to. Bad hearts produce bad thinking. So bad hearts produce bad thinking, produce I am God mentality. I get to determine my own truth. With that foundation, here's what Paul is going to tell us to do through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, but that is not the way that you learned Christ. That is not the way you learned Christ. Okay? We don't live that way. We don't determine our own truth. We don't get to define what truth is for us by what we think or feel. We submit to a truth that's in the Scriptures. 
We submit and we say, God, you're right. You're in charge. I'm following you. Even if I'm walking and looking into a glass dimly lit, or even if I feel like life is foggy right now, I'm going to trust you. That's how I've learned Christ. When Christ was tempted in the desert, what did he say to the enemy? It is written. He hung to, in the moments of his need, he hung to the very word of God. He believed the Bible. Jesus loved God's Word. He loved the Bible. It was His Word. He loved the Bible. It is written. It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone. When the enemy comes to attack, Jesus didn't say, well, you know what? This feels right, Satan. You're kind of, you know, and He did not fail in His moment of temptation like Adam and Eve failed in their moment of temptation. This now is how we've learned Christ. If we're being attacked by the enemy, if things aren't going, that we trust God. He is right. He's in charge. He gets to define how I think and feel. I think it was three or four weeks ago I mentioned this, that we don't get to determine what the Bible says. We shape our thinking around what the Bible says. We don't shape the Bible and make it say what we want it to say. We are shaped by God's Word. This is how we learned Christ. In fact, now the contrast is really interesting because the, the mind is appealed to. Uh, we see five different things here that are mentioned. That we learned Christ. That's not the way you learn Christ. In verse 21, it says that we have heard about Him and then we were taught in Him. This is about the mind still. Then it says in verse 21, the truth is in Jesus. The truth is in Jesus. And then in verse 20, 23, it says that we're going to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. I think that's my son in there. Like, was that Ransom? Yeah. Okay, anyways, that's my son. That's what I was like until I was like 18, like every day, just yelling and loud. Um, so clearly something is happening in the life of the mind of the Christian. The mind is being transformed. It's being changed. That's not how we learn Christ, what we talked about before. We learned Him a different way. God has revealed Himself, changed our hearts. We have a new heart now, and this is fundamental. For the Christian, we don't have hardness of heart. By God's grace, the Holy Spirit has came and given us a new heart with a Holy Spirit pulse that beats, that begins to wage war against sin. That's why we can't get away with sin. Why that conviction just stays there. Like, nope, you walk away from that sin. That's not okay. And you begin by God's grace. Even though you may be stubborn, we start to fight and wage war against sin. We start to be transformed. We have a new heart. So no longer does our heart beat for things of ourselves. Our heart beats for the things of God. So we're being changed even in our mind. So it says, or so here... Um, Verse 20, the, the transition here is now truth is given by God and not determined by me. This is characteristics of the new mind, the transformed mind, the Christian mind who thinks in a different way from the non-believer. The Christian thinks in a different way. Truth is given by God and, and not determined by me. Say it this way, the Christian has escaped the wave of popular opinion of the current era. By God's grace, we're not trapped to think the way everybody else thinks. We just don't have to think the way everybody else thinks. Independent thinkers in the university think they're independent thinkers. Along with all the other independent thinkers in the university. Isn't, isn't it ironic that those, you know, in, in high school it looks like Chuck Taylors and, you know, Indie Rock. And that's, you know, because I'm so much different than everybody else. Along with all my other friends who wear Chuck Taylors and listen to Indie Rock. 
okay, or whatever it is today. I don't know what high school kids do today, but um, we we were transformed that there's a different way. There's a different way to think. Um, so we gain a robust life, robust thinking life that's bigger and deeper than me. By God's grace, God has helped us to escape the nonsense that is, I, I know everything. The way I feel about everything is just right. God has helped us escape that. We're free to just simply say, I don't know, but I'm just going to go to God's word and just trust him, even if I can't fully understand. I don't have to have an answer for everything out there. Like, I simply don't. I'm, I'm free from having to determine myself, my purpose. I'm free to receive purpose from God. You ever met somebody who's always seeking, never finding? Whose life purpose seems to shift, like shifting sand? It's just here, there, can't ever get settled? By God's grace, we've been freed from that and brought into something way, way better. We gain now, in this new way of thinking, we gain an understanding of the world. Um, to think like a Christian, to think like a Christian is to think, it means we begin to understand the world. You know why the world has problems? Because humans have sinful hearts. It's a worldview that makes sense of the world that we live in. You know what the problem is with the world? People. People are the problem. We gain a robust way of thinking that explains our environment. The reason things are the way they are is because humanity is deeply sinful and deeply broken. And so we have a worldview now that's able to see, oh, that's why that's happening, sin. That's why that's happening, sin. We're able to see that by God's grace. Let me read the the passage um, because I kind of went at this backwards. Um, But that is not the way you learn Christ, verse 21, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. Now, what we're going to see is three things that flow from the truth being in Jesus. If the truth is in Jesus, then there's going to be three things that flow from this truth being in Jesus. And this is incredibly powerful for me. As our minds are being transformed and as we're discovering the truth that is in Jesus, as we're thinking rightly, uh, the truth that is in Jesus in verse 22 says, the truth is in Him to put off your old self. Now this is incredible news because it doesn't say, hey, put off your old self and then tell us not how, or, and not tell us how to do it. Doesn't just say not stop, just stop thinking like a non-believer. It tells us here how to do it. In Christ is the power to put off your old self. Now we're going to turn real quick as we look at this first way that Jesus changes our thinking. We put off our old self. Uh, turn to Colossians chapter 2. And I want to look at verse 16 down through chapter 3, verse 4. This is how Jesus changes our thinking. Number one, to put off your old self. The non-Christian thinker thinks that we can change our life simply by trying harder. And unfortunately, and this is the, the life that we're supposed to be living, or the thinking that we're supposed to be living, Christians know better. Christians know that being transformed in the image of Christ, or should, is it through mere willpower? We, can't, we just can't do it ourselves. This is what's going to say, because there is a way of living the Christian life uh, that's very much popularized within Christian circles that just simply says, now that somebody's a Christian, just tell them what they need to do. Tell them the Christian ethic. And since they have the Holy Spirit, they'll just begin to be able to live out the Christian ethic. So show them the path, to tell them what to do and not do, and they'll just do it. And this passage is going to say, no, 
That's the kind of thinking you need to leave behind. The truth is in Christ to put off your old self. The truth is not in you to put off your old self. Okay? So look with me at verse 16. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or new moon or Sabbath. These are a shadow of things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels and going on in detail about visions. Insisting on asceticism basically means, uh, here, now that you're a Christian, you need to stop doing all this stuff. There's a list of things you need to stop doing. Used to be it was movies, dancing, uh, fill in the blank sorts of things, you know, cards. These are the things, this is the list of things that you don't do. Some of you um, who are a little bit wiser, older, may remember some of those things, uh, just legalisms, and there, here's the long list of things you cannot, insisting on asceticism, you can't do this as a Christian. Things that the Bible has no restrictions on whatsoever, it's people putting restrictions on you, the Bible doesn't, it's people saying, well now we're supposed to live this way, this is what it looks like, and the Bible has no merit for it at all, okay? So that's insisting, people insisting on asceticisms, and it says, let no one do that going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason in his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head. This is going to piggyback on some of the things we talked about last night, or last week. From whom the whole body is nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments and grows from a growth that's from God. Okay, look at me real quick. Remember last week we talked about growing up into the head, that the whole body would be healthy? Okay, that as we walk together to Jesus, the Jesus himself begins to work health into the body. This is saying the exact same thing. We're, we're growing up into Christ together. Okay, This is what it calls, and it produces a growth that is from God. Now verse 20, look at this contrast. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These, this is key, these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgences of the flesh. Now I want you to hear that. Rules in the Christian life, here's what you need to do and here's what you don't need to do. You need to do this and you don't need to do this. Okay? Um, you need to, you don't drink, smoke, chew, go with girls that do. Okay, that sort of thing. Prepare, dressing a certain way, talking a certain way, looking a certain way. The Bible says it indeed has an appearance of godliness. But it has no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Zero. You cannot stop the flesh by simply a code of ethics. Even if it's a right code of ethics. It doesn't deal with the heart problem. And Christians now, by God's grace, have entered supernaturally into this Christian faith, and we are rejecting the idea that external conformity can transform internally. So what does have power to stop the indulgences of the flesh? I'm glad you asked. Look at verse three, chapter 3, verse 1. If you then have been raised with Christ... Seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds. You see the minds again? Similar language, Paul. Thanks through the power of the Holy Spirit here. Thanks for bringing some similarities here for, for our help. Set your minds on the things that are above, not on the things that are on earth. 
For you have died, and your life is hidden in Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, great little verse there, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. So the Christian now sets his mind on the things above. We grow up into Christ. We're thinking about Christ. We love Jesus. We're thinking about inheritance. We're thinking about the fact that we're saved to sin no more, that the blood of Christ, the one who's reigning and ruling in heaven and earth, is still having an effect in our life, transforming us from the inside out, even right now. This is the good news of the gospel. We, we think about such things. We're transformed from our mind. We transform our thinking. Now, turn back to Ephesians 4 with that in mind, and then look at it again. As the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. Now, this sounds so simple. You want to put to death the flesh and the old self? Cling to Jesus. Ask the Holy Spirit to cling to Jesus in Christ alone. The truth is in Jesus to put off your old self. You know, you grow in the Christian faith, faith in Christ. You keep looking to Him. You keep trusting in Him. Jesus, Your work is bigger than my sin. Jesus, Your love is greater than my lack of passion. Jesus, Your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in weakness. I'm going to keep coming to You, Jesus. Holy Spirit, keep turning my mind away from my heart, away from myself and to Christ. Help keeping me love Jesus and pursuing Him and gathering around people who love Him that will encourage me to love Him. Oh goodness. The truth is in Christ this is the one way. Number one, putting off your old self. The truth is that three ways that Jesus changes our thinking. Number one, to put off your old self. Number two, uh, to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. Number two, we see this in verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. This is the truth that's in Jesus. It gives us power to be renewed in the spirit of our minds. So now, as a Christian what renewal in the spirit of your minds look like is you have a new life mission. Instead of living for your own honor, we now live for God's glory and God's honor. We need to think such things. We need to think about my life is God's. When you wake up in the morning, God help me to live for your glory and honor today. Show me the ways I'm not living for your glory and honor. I want those things. We need to think in such ways. Stop thinking about how we can bring glory and honor to ourselves, Jared. Okay, also, we understand that every human problem at the root is sin, and we know the solution is the good news. We're renewed in the spirit of our minds. When we see problems, when we see crazy news articles, we don't need to see, think, boy, you people are stupid. We think, you people are sinful and broken, and we know the one who can fix you. We know the one who can save you and can pull you out of the mess. And we need to think in such ways. We, don't just need, we need to love and thank God for the good news that brings people out of the pits of despair, that brings people out of their sin and their rebellion. The third way that Jesus thinks, uh, changes our thinking is that we can put on the new self, verse 3. And to put on the new self, the truth is in Jesus, to put on our new self that's created after, verse 24, the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. We need to think about and remember to put on the new self that we already have. Okay, We have a new self. If anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And we need to think about that. We need to think when we are sinning, 
I'm a, I'm a new self. I'm a new person. I want to be who I am. I am not that person anymore. God, by your grace, help me right now. I want to think about when I am in sin this week. I, I confessed last week about the internet. Thank God that he helped me this week. And there was a few days we were sitting in here with Andy a couple times where I nonchalantly just went to a place on the internet and was just killing time. It was like, ah, okay, I, I need to think about, don't do that. I don't want to do that. Think about that. I'm not wasting time stealing from people any longer. I'm not going to do that. So think. We're put on the new self. We have been recreated in true righteousness and holiness. So we want to live loving God, loving people, and making disciples. We want to put on the new self. So we want to think in these ways. I want you to read through this passage when you go home and just ask yourself a question. Am I thinking in the old way or in the new way? What is my thought life like? Am I thinking in the old way or the new way? So there's two types of people in this room. I mentioned it before. The call for this passage, I believe, for the Christians and the non-Christians in the room, starting with non-Christians. Number one, the non-Christian needs a new heart. And Andy, you can go ahead and come up. The non-Christian needs a new heart and a new self. So the non-Christian can move from bad thinking to good thinking. Um, If you're not a believer in this room, let me just tell you, there's a life that's so much bigger than yourself. Um, It's such a small world to live in to believe that truth is determined by you and your purpose is determined by you. The glory of the gospel, it says, is no, there's this big and eternal and glorious truth and it's so much bigger to live for than you and your purpose and your mission. Here, the gospel of Jesus. Now your life becomes about His glory and fame. So that's the call. Would be repent of your sins. God, I'm sorry for living such a small story. Sorry for thinking that I'm right and that I don't need you. Saying, God, I've sinned against you. I'm sorry. And now I want you to save me. Give me a new heart. And I want you to help me to live for your glory and honor. I want to think differently. Then for the Christian, there are Christians here who need to live out what's true of them. Okay, We need to live this out. We are declared righteous. We are, by God's grace, saved, redeemed. We have a new heart. So we need to stop living as if truth is defined by us. We come to the Scriptures and come to the Bible. I don't like the doctrine of hell. So what? It's there. Believe it. Let it it pull you out on mission and compassion for people to say, I want you to know Jesus. I want you to love Jesus. I want you to be saved from the judgment that's coming. Be what you are. Stop living the old way and continue to live the new way. Jesus builds a new community. And the idea here is that we think as Christians. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, help us, transform us, not just in action and deed, um, where we just externally conform to some just moral ideal. Help us to be transformed from the inside out, and even our thinking. Help us to reject thinking that has ourselves in the center, and help us to think in the new way that has you in the center. So help us to use our minds, fueled by our hearts, here as we sing to you. We want you to be honored with our minds as well. Holy Spirit, just work. I trust that you will. In Jesus' name, amen. Before we sing communion, or receive communion, we get to sing. And I want you to think about the words that we're singing. And I'll come back up here in a minute, and then we'll receive together. For you stand in the of Christ. In Christ alone, my hope is found.